I invite you to take a Bible now and to open it to the book of Psalms, where we'll be looking at the 34th Psalm. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the pew, uh, this is on page 433. Psalm 34 on page 433. The inscription at the very beginning that precedes verse 1 says, this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And that concludes our reading of the psalm for this morning. Without the initial inscription that precedes verse 1 as we read this psalm, and here it's just positive tone that David joyfully starts off to say that he's going to bless the Lord at all times and he's so filled with thanks. Uh, we might superficially imagine that David is going through a really good season in his life where so many things are going well and so of course David has this much uh, joy and this happiness, this overflowing thankfulness that uh, he wants to praise the Lord continually. Uh, but when he says that he will bless the Lord at all times, that's our first point. With that inscription, what we discover is that David is writing this in a really, really rough season of his life. He had gained some early success when Samuel had selected him and anointed him and said that he would be the future king of Israel. 
and he came and was victorious against Goliath, and then his popularity grew among the people that they looked at their king Saul and said, you know, Saul's okay, but David is, is amazing. And as King Saul saw the popularity of David, that it was greater than his own, he became intimidated and jealous, and he began to attack David. And in the story that's recorded for us throughout 1 Samuel, eventually Saul's son Jonathan develops a strong bond and relationship with David, and Jonathan becomes a source of wisdom and advice for David to let him know things aren't going well here and you're not safe here. And David is kind of wondering what he should do. And right before this psalm is written, David and Jonathan come up with a plan for how David could know that Saul means him well or means him harm. And eventually what Jonathan discovers is that Saul just wants to go after David. And so Jonathan passes on the word to David, and he just has to flee. He doesn't have a lot of time to get resources together in order to leave. Uh, he's on the run. And while he's at the run, on the run, he shows up at the priest's place to get bread. And the priest is kind of wondering, why are you here alone? Where's you know, your normal array of soldiers and, and men? And he only has a few people with him. And he doesn't have any of his equipment. He has no sword, uh, no spears with him. And so David, uh, without telling the priest exactly what's going on, says, oh, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm here on a secret mission. And if you could just give me and my few men a little bit of bread. And then he asks the priest if there's any weapons that he could also pick up along the way. And the priest says, you know, there is one. There's the sword from Goliath that you had retrieved. It's, it's here. And so if you want it, you can take it. And so David does, and he moves on to the next place. All of this is in 1 Samuel 21. And then the next place, the king of Gath sees David, and again, sees that he's uh, with a, just a very small group of people. He's in a hurry. And David becomes worried that now this king is going to be able to take advantage of this situation and come after him. And so David, it says, changes his behavior before that king pretends to be no longer mentally with it, pretends to be insane, and so dramatically that the king just says, look, let's, we don't have to worry about David. Let's just, can we just send him away? We don't want to deal with all of his problems. And it's after that, while he's on the run, when Jonathan, his best friend, has told him he has to run, and he desperately finds food, he desperately uh, pretends to be not well, to get away from the king, it's in that circumstance that he writes this psalm. And I would invite you, though, uh, to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22, because to me it's really fascinating what happens uh, immediately after those events in David's life, where he's down and discouraged, he's on the run, he's not safe almost anywhere. And in 1 Samuel 22, this is on page 229, it tells us, uh, that he has to flee to a cave. And so 1 Samuel 22, we'll just read the first three verses. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander 
over them. And there were with him about 400 men. We'll just read those first two verses. What a fascinating description. Uh, uh, It is not a description, if you will, of sort of an elite special forces group of people. Uh, We we might not want to be so described by other people. Uh, Most of you aren't likely to leave here this morning and say, I went to Lakeside Christian Church. You did. How did it go? Oh, it was great. Everybody who was in distress and everybody who was in debt and everybody who was crushed in spirit was there. I mean, it was a wonderful group of people to be with. Most of us wouldn't hear this description and think uh, that's who we would want to be numbered among. But there was something about David whose scripture elsewhere says is a person after God's own heart who was so accessible in this way that in the hardships that he was clearly going through, other people going through hard times said, I want to align myself with him. I want to follow after him. Seeing how he handled distress and discouragement, exile and isolation, they said, this is the king that we want to follow. He doesn't have the formal title king yet like Saul does, but he's the one who we we want to follow after. And so as David sees this group of people and as he hears all of the challenges and the struggles that they have gone through, he is the leader of this group of people who will at all times bless the Lord. Not just in good times bless the Lord, but who will find ways to continue to follow after God even in distress and challenge while they're experiencing hardship that they find community with one another. That they can say to each other, are you going through something? I'm going through something. I never knew you were going through that. And there's an amazing way in which our suffering unites us to people in a unique and a profound way. That though none of us should desire the suffering, there is a gift that God gives us if we're open to it to experience a deeper level of friendship and communion with one another if we share with each other the sufferings that we're experiencing. But it is pretty common on an ordinary Sunday, right? To simply meet people and say, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Because there's something in us that doesn't want to acknowledge we're not fine. We're not doing great. But in doing that, one, most of us are lying when we say we're doing fine or everything's okay. And Scripture acknowledges that we all go through various things. And so David's expression that he will bless the Lord at all times is his own recognition that he goes through many things. And so later on it says that the righteous will suffer. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so there is a way where we can be honest about our trials and temptations and our struggles And when somebody says, how you're doing, to be able to say, you know, God is really preserving me and protecting me through an extended period of grief. I feel like God is watching over me uh, when I'm going through a sadness that I didn't quite expect. You know, right now, things at work are not going really well. 
uh, in David's situation, the king, who's the leader overall, is his boss, is an insecure man. And whenever you have very insecure people in positions of leadership, the, the extra challenge that that brings is David gets in trouble not for being a bad worker, not for being a bad soldier, but actually for being a good soldier, for being a good leader. Because in Saul's insecurity, he doesn't want anybody else to look better than him. Well, that's a whole nother level of frustration. If you actually feel like you're excelling in the gifts that God has given you and you're doing good and hard work, but rather than being rewarded for that work, you're actually maligned for that work. That's what David is going through when he talks about uh, being able to bless the Lord at all times, even with the jealousy of other people, even with the threat of violence. And as that becomes more and more visible to people, it draws others like him together to have a relationship with one another that is profound. And so I do submit to you, uh, we should willingly think of even the church of Jesus Christ in this way. That we are those, if we can bless the Lord at all times, that means we can bless him in our debt in our discouragement, in our distress, and in our suffering. At all times and in all ways. That at all times and in all ways that we can bless the Lord. This psalm is 22 verses, and more often than not, when you see a psalm that's 22 verses, one of the things that you can look up and consider is, is this actually an acrostic? That um, in the Hebrew, each of these verses begins with a different successive letter. And so for us, it would be verse 1a, verse 2 begins with b, verse 3 begins with c, which you might be most likely to encounter in children's literature. We can't possibly translate it in that way and to preserve then the beauty of that, uh, going from one language to another. But here is David, who though he is going through a lot, still takes us time not only to praise the Lord, but to do it beautifully, to think creatively about how it is that he can express his thankfulness and his gratitude to God and invite other people to express that as well. And part of how he'll express that is also being a leader for all these other people who are discouraged and distressed and who are in debt and coming to him. That he's not just writing a song and singing it, but he's living his life in such a way that these people are all find community and fellowship with him. And this is similar to then our Lord himself, who when he was given the first opportunity at the synagogue of his hometown to open up a scroll, when he opened it up and announced the good news, he said, this is good news in Luke chapter 4 for the brokenhearted. This is good news for the blind and the lame and the sick. The kingdom of heaven has come, and it's good news for everyone who feels like they're on the outs of what this world has to offer. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist sends a few disciples to him. John's in prison, and he's wondering. He knows he baptized Jesus. It's been a little bit of time since then, and he's now in jail. And John sends his disciples to go and inquire is Jesus really the Messiah who was to come? And Jesus tells John's disciples, go back to John and tell him that the lame walk, that the blind receive their sight, that the sick are healed, that the dead 
are raised. All of these ways of manifesting the power of God were evident in Jesus. And that's uh, something that we're aspire to. The Christian life is not mo- and message is not mostly helping people who are otherwise getting along well in life to simply do better. If that's all we have to offer, that we know how to help people who are otherwise emotionally and spiritually healthy do better, uh, but it's the equivalent of working out regularly or reading a self-help book. But when the gospel makes a real impact and difference, it's when those who are struggling, when those who are poor in spirit, when those who are crushed, when those who are hurting, find restoration and healing and can now experience life in new ways so that at all times and in all ways they can serve the Lord. They can bless him. They can honor him with their life, not just their lips. And that's been a theme throughout the Psalms as we have been uh, looking at these, that worship is a way of life. Yes, these are recorded as prayers and, and songs and many of them are put to music. But what we're singing and what we're praying through these psalms is how to honor the Lord every day of the week in all the ways in which he has provided for us. But we need a constant reminder that our provision ultimately comes from God, not from our effort. David already at this point in time has a lot that he could brag about, things that he's done that nobody else has done. He actually recently has the reminder in Goliath's sword to walk around with a sense of who else was able to do this? But there's nothing in this psalm that brings praise to David or glory to David. It's David acknowledging all of this comes from God. And we gather regularly to remind one another, even in our good days, we're supposed to acknowledge that it comes from him. And here it says that those who follow the Lord will lack no good thing. But many times we can fall back in our minds and think that provision comes from our work or our effort and not recognize it's all of God's. All of the blessing and all of the abundance belongs to him. Recently, we were in the drive through line at Chick-fil-A um, and our youngest was just kind of observing, one, how regularly crowded the drive through line is at Chick-fil-A. And he's getting older that he's paying attention to also how much things cost when we... Uh, when the person says, you know, here's the price for your meal, and you give them the form of payment, and so at five years old, he's already expressed the desire that one day he's going to work at Chick-fil-A. So he's looking around, and he goes, clearly they make lots of money. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. I mean, if that's where you work, that's great. Uh, but the little bit that he was able to do the math and look around, have this sense that uh, this is maybe how I can provide for myself in the future. There's nothing wrong with any of us thinking proactively and thinking about how to do the best we can with whatever God has given us. But we are supposed to gather regularly in difficult seasons to find community with one another. But also in those times when in verse 8 we can say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That we thank God for any accomplishments that we have. That we hold each other accountable to remain humble in heart and not become proud in ourselves. And not think all of a sudden that God was really smart when he decided to save us because look at all that we could now do for him. No, David never forgot that God picked him out of all of his older brothers 
that he preserved him in spite of Saul's jealousy and opposition to him. And so that everything that he had before him was an occasion to thank God for all that he had done. And so we bless the Lord at all times and in all ways and for all that he's done. There's a couple of times in the New Testament where Psalm 34 uh, is quoted. Uh, I invite you to turn to two of these passages. The first one is in 1 Peter chapter 3. Hopefully you're already persuaded that this psalm is relevant for each and every one of our lives today. But if part of you is wondering, why are we studying this in the Old Testament? Well, here's how Peter uh, applies it in his first letter in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. So this is on page 954. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. This is now the encouragement for the New Testament church. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing for, now Psalm 34, whoever desires to love life, and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. And if we say, why is that true? Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And when that very glorious event happened of our Savior's sacrifice for us and so we bless him for all that he has done John the gospel writer also quotes Psalm 34 and so I invite you to turn to John 19 to see in the in the very last moments of our Savior's life and ultimately right after he died John who knew his Bible well thinks back on Psalm 34 in verses 28 to 30, we read about Jesus finally crying out that it is finished. And he bows his head and gives up his spirit. Then in verse 31, this is on page 852. Since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken so that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 
But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled in Psalm 34. Not one of his bones will be broken. So we bless the Lord at all times and in all ways for all that he has done, not only in providing us our life, but in offering his life for ours. And so we still bless the Lord. We still seek to bless him, as we sang, in ceaseless praise. Because who else has loved us this much? Who else has given us so much? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its power. We thank you that you are worthy in our distress and in our abundance, in our times of discouragement and our times of success, that you are the one who is worthy of it all, that you are the holy God who deserves all praise, that our ability to gather this morning, our ability to have clear minds to think, our ability to take in air and breathe, all comes from you. And we thank you for that. But we thank you even more that your son was willing to be our savior, willing to suffer for our sins, willing to take his last breath to give us eternal life. And so we pray that you would help us with our whole lives, though it were a present far too small, uh, to show you our gratitude for all that you've given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together for our last song.